Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line, Ben Golver. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. Excited to be here talking hoops with you. Lots and lots of news to dig in. But I I wanted to start with, first of all, that old phrase that people say when you get fired or let go from your job, laid off. They always like to say, hey, you know, this could be the greatest thing that ever happened to you. Uh Andrew, when people say that, they're usually lying or they're just trying to shake you out of the depression and sadness They're basically just trying to throw you some sort of bone to bring you back to humanity because obviously your life's in the pits at that moment, right? It's one of the biggest body blows you can take as a human on this planet. Well, hold on. It depends on what the job is. Oftentimes, it's very true that this is going to be the best thing that ever happened to you. It depends on where you are in life when you get laid off. But sure, I'll let you continue with this line of reasoning. No, you sound exactly like the kind of person who's lying to their friends about it, <laughs> trying to like help them along. No, I get it. That's the Sometimes conventional it's wisdom. For the best. Tip. That's all I'm saying. Most of the time, it's not okay. But this case with Ryan McDonough getting fired by the Phoenix Suns and Robert Sarver one week before the season started is actually the exception, Andrew. This should be viewed as the greatest day of his life. And I am actually confident that he's going to bounce back from this in unbelievable fashion. I don't know if it's going to be a Nobel Peace Prize. I don't know if he's going to cure diseases that we thought were previously uncurable. He is going to have a huge, huge comeback from this moment. Because what's going to happen here as you know this inexplicable decision in terms of the timing factor starts to sink in is Ryan McDonough is going to go back in his little mental uh, memory bank and he's going to start to think of all the really weird situations and just awful decisions that he was forced to make over these years (laughs) and he's going to start he's going to start to realize that he was in so deep he lost all perspective I mean for let's just run through a few of these for a minute okay Andrew yeah Imagine being the GM who Eric Bledsoe tweets, I don't want to be here. I'm pretending that I'm a hair salon and you have to go out and give a normal <laughs> uh, press a conference face for the franchise. Yeah, that was tough. Exactly. And then try to gin up a trade market for him. Good luck. Remember when Markeith Morris threw a towel at Jeff Hornacek's face? That must have been fun. Remember when Goran Dragic and Isaiah Thomas both got traded and they essentially threw parties after they were traded in the press saying how great it was to be away uh, from the Phoenix Suns? I mean, basically treating the organization like it was the Shawshank prison. Uh, You've got taking Bender and Chris in the same draft and losing a trade to Vlade Divac. That's not easy to do completely inexplicable had to be one of those days where mcdonough's head was just like everything was going way too fast for him to even be able to process what was going on like whoa whoa hold on you've got they really lose that trade are we sure about that wasn't that the the year that the kings drafted papa Giannis? yeah but they did multiple extra picks and bogdanovich they definitely lost that trade they're already out on chris they gave chris away for nothing after two seasons they lost that trade. That's there's fair. no doubt about I, let's it. just be clear i don't know if the kings really won that trade because of the Papianis move but i think there there may, may have been two Look, losers in that case i appreciate you trying to put yourself in ryan mcdonough's shoes here uh you know mounting a defense for him but this is what i'm talking about when you're in this dysfunction for so many years and you're facing these like awful <laughs> decisions of, a clean break. <laughs> I, 
Yeah, I have to defend my reputation to the to the bitter end about losing a trade with Vlade Divac. I mean, yeah, okay, there was two losers. Great, there was two losers. Everyone's losers. You're still a loser. That's what I mean. We can go on and on. Chasing LaMarcus Aldridge for no reason, signing Tyson Chandler for huge money. Let's not even, out of respect to Brandon Knight and the memory of his career, let's not even mention uh, the whole Brandon Knight experience, which did begin with McDonough saying he was like the best point guard in the trade with Dragic and he was going to be the future franchise guy and all those things. Let's also not underplay the fact that they traded what was going to be a very valuable Lakers pick. Uh, I don't even know what that pick turned into. I think it was the Sixers... This was it the the pick they traded for Tatum. Oh, it was the cherry on top, right? Wasn't it the Sixers pick they used this year that they traded back plus an extra oh, first yeah, round yeah, pick? Yeah. But it should have been yeah. a top five pick that they were trading away, or at least top ten. And it was so insane, even when it happened, to deal that pick for Brandon Knight and uh, like. Hindsight has been kinder to that trade than it probably should have been because that pick was supposed to convey two or three years earlier than it really did. And just like the process of that deal was absolutely batshit crazy. There's no question, but you know, as I'm listing these off, was it even a top five bad move for McDonough? I mean, we can <laughs> we can have a very rich debate about that. I think his strategy was just to keep making worse mistakes, so we forgot about the previous ones. But you're right, that was absolutely atrocious, and he chased good money after bad by trying to trade back for that pick this year, right? Yeah. So these are the kinds of situations you get in, and being uh, being Ryan McDonough, the worst part about it is you're making these decisions, you're taking these risks along the way, and I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. I think he's smart enough to know that a lot of these moves weren't great. I think most GMs at this stage of the NBA understand like what's a quote-unquote good deal and know when they're making a risky move similar to like the magic taking on the Ibaka thing, right? It's sort of like a desperation move. They're not usually making mistakes out of just like idiocy. They're making mistakes out of desperation, out of pressure from ownership after feeling the urgency to like, you know, win a little bit more than they'd been winning. And I think that that really, you know, guided a lot of his moves. And that's why he's such a big winner here, Andrew. Now that he's free of all this, he doesn't have to listen to morons like us criticize him with criticism that he knows is valid year (laughs) after year after year he can just be free to go live his life and go do whatever he wants and I think ultimately when we look back on the Ryan McDonough tenure we're going to see a laundry list of mistakes many of which we just ran through one after another but the single biggest mistake the original sin mistake was taking Robert Sarver's money in the first place and trying to do a job that was never going to be able to be done properly. I Eh. think with the benefit of time, Ryan McDonough will come to understand that and he'll realize that uh, his next chapter is going to be guaranteed to be brighter than his current chapter, given what he was able to work with in Phoenix. Okay. Well, there's a lot there, a lot to work through. Um, I will say I wasn't sure exactly what kind of Gulliver I was going to be getting today. I wasn't sure whether you were going to come on here tooting your horn. Because look, for people who haven't listened to the show for very long, I mean, since I've known you, you have been crusading for greater accountability for Ryan McDonough. And this has been like a cause of yours. You've texted me 
all throughout the year with stray thoughts like, can you believe the Suns did this? <laughs> can you believe they're really going to go into the season without a point guard? And so this is a big day for you and for the Ben Golliver brand. But I'm happy that you kind of kept things tasteful. You were veering into patronizing territory for a little while there. But like, I think that there's some merit to what you're saying, that ultimately the problem is Sarver and not McDonough. And he was just doomed to keep repeating the same mistakes he'd been making over the last couple of years. Um, I agree with all that. And I also think you, you were hinting at this, but I think... The timing of this benefits McDonough in that it's so weird and so crazy to fire your GM a week before the season that nobody is going to be able to talk about this without talking it through and saying, well, McDonough wasn't great, but Robert Sarver is the bigger problem, which ultimately that's a win for McDonough because if they had fired him in July, everyone would say, yeah, I mean, what do you... What do you expect the Suns to do? McDonough had four or five years to do whatever he wants with this team, and they are no better than they were four or five years ago. And in fact, are actually worse and further away from relevance. So I think... No question. And there was so many fireable offenses along the way in terms of his mistakes. But now it was not really the time to do it. If you are going to fire McDonough, you have to fire him in April. Because let's run down real quick... Their big moves since the end of last season. They hired another new coach. You want to have your GM involved in that, right? Uh-huh. They took the number one pick, which is going to be a second guest pick for years and years. Aiden Doncic, <laughs> whoever else you want to throw in there. Okay, right? I wouldn't go that That's far. A, as far as like it's destined to be second guest forever. We'll see. No, I'm just saying there's going to be people who question that pick. That's going to be the, it's the first number one pick they've ever had as a franchise, yeah. and number one picks are always second guest, well, right? Like from what it doesn't, we knew around the draft. It was Sarver making that pick. Sarver has ties to Arizona, and they like the second the Suns won the lottery, Aiton was the guy, and everybody just sort of agreed that that's how that was okay. going to play out. So I think that. But was let me let Sarver. me ask you this: I agree with you. I think it's mostly going to fall on Sarver. There's no question that specific decision. But if Jerry West was his GM and Jerry West put all of his rings on the table and said, "Robert, you're dead wrong. We're taking Doncic." End of story. Don't you think Jerry West would have won the day? Sure. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. If you have a real GM, if you have a GM that you trust, who's able to kind of communicate with ownership and tell him, hey, here's where you're wrong. Here's where you're right. Here's what we should be looking for as a franchise. That's another decision where having a different GM, somebody who is actually empowered to do their job, uh, would have been helpful. So you've got the coaching hire. You've got the number one pick. You've got the decision to trade a future first round pick in that deal for Bridges. Uh-huh. Uh, you've got the signing of Trevor Ariza, which makes some sense in the short term. But as you know, I've kind of questioned it as a long term move. You've got the trade uh, for Ryan Anderson's contract, which is another big decision uh, they made this summer. Uh, you you add all of those things together. And this was a fairly important offseason for the Suns. <laughs> yeah. Oh, not to mention... The $158 million contract they gave to Devin Booker, which didn't really get to be a negotiation because they had no leverage, right? Mm -hmm. But those are all really key moves that McDonough was overseeing that kind of laid the blueprint, not just for this season, but probably for next season and maybe a few after that as well. And now you're just going to rip the architect of those moves right out of the picture and say, okay, we're going forward with an interim GM here uh, or two of them actually in the short term. 
even though they're just coming off all these seasons with interim coaches and and other just kind of haphazard you know uh, changes of power uh, you know at, at very key points in that organization it's so dumb it's so impulsive it's so short-sighted and look well, McDonough probably should have never been hired he should not have been given his extension when they gave it to him in 2017 but firing him right now I see zero logic to it what is the defense of that move um the defense of that move is that Either way, if you're trying to take the next step with this team, I don't know if you want Ryan McDonough in charge. And granted, that's an argument for firing him in mid-June, but I still think if you're going to try to make a change, do it sooner rather than later. Even if that means doing it in early October, that's probably for the best. And it's funny, I thought about it like... (laughs) I don't know if there... Because we, we went through this with the Sixers to some degree. I don't know if there's really ever a good time to be without a GM. Um, like in the NBA calendar, you really only have like a four or five week window from August to the beginning of September where everybody sort of checks out. And otherwise, you're kind of screwed regardless. And uh, so like it was going to be a, an awkward transition no matter when they did it. Um I would have done it in June if they wanted to move on or May. Granted, sun season ends in like February. Yeah. So you could have no, done it I pretty think early. But the, the time to do it would have been the last day of the regular season, yes. right? April. That's when they That's the natural time to do it. And I don't think you can defend this as better sooner than later. The season starts in seven or eight days. They're supposedly been actively participating in trades to try to land a point guard. Right. And do you know what else you probably would have had if you had just fired McDonough in mid-April like a normal NBA team would do? A point guard. You probably would have had an NBA caliber point guard by this point. You would have had six months to figure that, to figure out that question. And I don't understand how you have uh, an organizational plan which involves building around Booker and Aiton uh, and you're just going to leave any capable point guard out of that equation entirely. It makes zero well, sense. And listen, like, did Sarver just show up in mid mid October and just start wondering, like, huh, where's our point guard? Is he out injured today? And McDonough was like, no, no, we we don't have one. Like, we just haven't been able to get one. Like, did he just figure this out, or oh, why why did he turn so drastically against his front? Well, office? we'll get to that in a second. But did you see the report? that there was like a secret mandate for McDonough to get the Suns a point guard within 30 days and that that window expired and that's why he got fired? Well, I'm glad that that 30-day window started so we at least know that Sarver checked in in early September rather than (laughs) mid-October. I mean, you know what the mandate for point guard windows is? It's called free agency, Andrew. It opens on July 1 yeah. every year. That's when you go get point guards. It's really, really rough. That's just not a great way to do business in general. Uh, but it's the Suns, and we'll see what they do from here. I mean, apparently Sarver is – James Jones is like a favorite of Sarver's. Um, I've heard rumors that they're going to go after – David Griffin, uh, Ryan mm. Rosillo threw Steve Nash's name into the mix. Like, who knows what the Suns are going to do? Uh, Nash is too smart it's for that. It's not the worst hey. situation in the world, though. And the one thing I wanted to push back against, like, if you're an assistant GM for a team and you're hoping to one day be a general manager, there are only 30 jobs available. And of those 30 jobs... I would say probably 15 are in places where you wouldn't be thrilled to move to. So if Phoenix opens up and is like starting a rebuild 
it's you know it's not my favorite place in the world but it's nice weather you can go live there you very low pressure the first few years like i don't blame mcdonough for taking the job i think that it that's not it's it's not as as crazy an idea as you made it sound uh, you can try to talk yourself into it, but don't you think he was pretty miserable for most of his five years there? I mean, sure, it's nice to be a GM, but it's barely a real job if your coach is, or if your owner is making the number one pit calls. You're facing these like you know crazy thirty day moratoriums <laughs> to make moves, and you're losing sixty games a year. I mean, it's not that great of a move, and he's going to be known as well, the guy who was in Phoenix for half a decade. I mean, I you, think he's you described it as his original sin, and all I'm saying is was. that it makes sense to me how you would say, you know what, Robert Sarver seems like kind of a shithead, but I'm going to go take my chances and hope that I live out my days in 85 degree weather with like an untold bounty of lottery picks and we'll see what happens. No, that sounds great if you're like in your mid 60s looking for a retirement blowout. This guy was like a rising up and coming star of the Celtics front office. Like, come on, man. Look, I think the other aspect of the timing that we need to underscore here a little bit because some people will say what you did which is well you know the timing could be a little bit worse like you know the season's just starting there's not that many moves to make until february and you know the point guard question looms but okay let's just grant that point if you're igor you have no idea what the lay of the land is you're a rookie head coach you're already facing the challenge of trying to like (laughs) rep You're trying to rally the first team you've ever had, right? You're trying to put it all together. Of course, you're trying to live up to expectations. You don't have that much talent compared to most teams. You're trying to put together an older roster with some younger prospects. You're trying to make sure everybody eats. And now you don't know if you're going to be the coach next year because they they might hire a guy who, uh, you know, doesn't like you or your style or, or whatever else. And imagine if you're these players, right? If you're Booker, who's just been sold, hey, man, you know, just keep patient, right? We're going to give you this max guy. You're our guy. I'm sure McDonough spent years kind of uh, massaging that uh, relationship, trying to avoid him, you know, trying to force his way out and all the other things that young players want to do in uh, that kind of a negative situation, you know, shutting him down at various points during the tanks and all that. And then the guy who was telling you all those sort of – you know, all that advice along the way is now just gone and you don't have any idea who's going to replace him. I mean, you're sitting there thinking like, wow, like this, here we go again, right? Yeah. And that could be a real crippling mentality. Not to mention if you're Aiden, you know, you go to a party, I'm the number one pick. This is the guy who drafted me. I'm hugging him. We're great. This is so <laughs> <Totally>. awesome. <laughs> now that guy's just blown up and gone and maybe it's going to be James Jones. That's the plant. Like, come on, man. Yeah. This is why the timing is so damaging, not just uh, for kind of like the big picture, like reputation of the Suns, uh, because I think you're onto something. Like they do have a few young players accumulated here. It's not the worst job in the league. It's not dead last right. in terms of assets that are on hand, but not just the reputation, but just the short-term immediate impacts of this move are just a crusher one week before the season starts. And imagine being a season ticket holder. It's time to call for refunds again, Andrew. I've already done that three <laughs> or four times, but they should hand out total refunds to all season ticket holders. Right yes. Now. For anyone who wasn't listening last year, I believe it was after game one where the Suns got drilled <laughs> by yep. like 50 against the Blazers. You came on and demanded that they refund season ticket holders, which again, as I said at the time, involves giving back like a shitload of money (laughs) um but you know maybe that would have been best the uh yeah the the other note on the suns is that 
it's kind of crazy. Like contemporary basketball fans have come to think of this organization as as something of a punchline, and you know they remember the seven seconds or less Suns. But it, also, if you go back through history, the Suns have basically always been good and always been entertaining until this last like seven or eight year run. And uh, I hope that they can find a way to be revitalized here because it is like they shouldn't be in the basement of the league every single year. And somehow that's become our new normal for the Suns. But uh, I don't know. I, I think that there's room to reclaim some dignity somewhere along the way here. When you only hire first-time head coaches and you're paying them, oh my god, dollar, that's and true. You only hire absolutely a first-time. You you only hire a first-time executive and you pay him bottom dollar. What Dude. are you going to get? You know, you get what you pay for, and that's why I think Sarver's got to go. Yeah. Right? I mean, isn't the only path back to what you're describing? And you're right. I mean, they had lots and lots of playoff appearances. You know, final strip in the early '90s. Uh, you know, lots of just entertaining, captivating type players, guys who are still local icons down there. Dan Marley and and on and yeah. on. All that stuff is being squandered right now, and they do have some young talent that deserves to be, you know, fully invested in. And it's just unfortunate that Sarver doesn't seem to want to do that. We can scream about it endlessly, but he's made a lot of money on the franchise valuation since when he bought in. I think in like the early two thousands. Now is the perfect time to sell, man. You don't know what you're doing. Okay. Okay. And actually. Have you heard the people on Twitter, the new young people, that they love to say this phrase, this ain't it? Have you seen that on Twitter? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I actually think that that should be the slogan for the sun season. And actually, for every sun season until Robert Sarver sells. This ain't it. Everything that they do ain't it. It's always wrong. Yeah. You know what definitely ain't it is uh, Talking Stick Resort Arena. I think it's the second they renamed or sold the naming rights for that, <laughs> it was like, this era of Suns basketball is doomed. Um, so let's turn over a new leaf. This is step one today. I do want to read you one email that I enjoyed. We got a lot of Perfect. Let's congratulatory emails to you uh, in the wake of the McDonough firing. And so I don't know how you feel about that. You seem to, to me, you have some blood on your hands in all this. And I don't know whether there's guilt or what, but, um, <laughs> but Grant says, hey guys, I'm sure you are getting flooded with Ryan McDonough emails right now, but I thought I'd share a text from my college NBA offseason group chat. Essentially, this is my take on a Dream McDonough roster. Their rotation, Tyus Thomas, Eric Bledsoe, Brandon Knight, Isaiah Thomas, Terry Rozier, Goran Dragic, Alfred Payton, Isaiah Kanan, and Tyler Eulis. And I like that for two reasons, Ben. Number one, I think he means Tyrus Thomas, who was never on the Suns, but thinking about it, like, had all the markings of a Suns lottery pick, like high upside, nobody could really figure out what he did, and then just kind of disappeared without a trace after like four or five years in the NBA. So there's that, number one. And number two, the other guy that I would add to that list is LaMarcus Aldridge, because of that one summer where they went all out to sign him to a team that hadn't even made the playoffs the year before. But do you remember that free agent pursuit? Like LaMarcus Aldridge was on the of side course. of buildings in Phoenix. It was amazing. 
That's what I'm saying. This is the moments where you're, you're going to, after you're getting fired, you're going to have the perspective and you're going to think, yes, I really did do podcasts where I was bragging about being a finalist for LaMarcus Aldridge, <laughs> even though I didn't get him, right? Dude. Like I got a meeting. Like that was a real thing that happened. That's it what I'm saying. It was so look, weird. It like, it made no sense even as it was happening. And like for so long, that's, I guess where the sons have been. It's just like, I, I, they think they're trying to contend, and the whole rest of the league is like, what the hell are they thinking? I love this guy's rotation. Great point on Tyus Thomas, who was basically Marquise Chris before Marquise Chris, <laughs> exactly. right? I think I think both Alex Len and Marquise Chris have to be within this rotation, though, because oh. I think those are both sort of pivotal <laughs> players uh, within this era because right as pace and space is about to take off, the Suns go for Alex Led, who's like slow, plotting, injury-plagued center. Who you just can't get it together, yeah. right? So like perfect timing, like way to see the future of the NBA there. And then with Chris, and I think I've made this point before, that's a developmental player. It's a guy who you have to invest so much resources in turning into somebody who's going to actually be somebody, right? And when you're the Suns and you've just screwed up developing basically everyone on your roster for the last five years... How is that the guy you go and target, especially when you have other people at his position potentially who are going to be competing with him for minutes? It just made no sense. And ultimately, (laughs) I thought that 2016 draft is when they should have pulled the plug. Like as soon as they got the early returns on Bender and Chris, and it was just clear like they weren't going to go anywhere, that was the time that Sarver had to pull the plug. And yet, what did he do? He gave McDonough an extension in 2017. That's why all these problems in Phoenix go back to him. Yeah. Um, well, I enjoy that for the last 25 minutes, you and I have been reciting various scenarios and just saying that didn't make any sense. Like, what were they thinking? Like, that's been our <laughs> son's take for the day. Uh, and shout out to all the people who tuned into Open Floor today and were like, why, why are we talking about the Suns for 30 minutes? But here we are. The McDonough era is over. I don't, I don't know whether to congratulate you, Ben, on your on the validation or to offer condolences because this is the end of a long journey of yours. Um, but I guess congratulations to Suns fans. I think this is a step in the right direction. <laughs> yeah, at the worst possible time. Real congratulations. <laughs> Look, I don't know. I don't think there's any way to really spin this positively. I don't. <laughs> I'm I, trying. I do think... I'm doing the best that I can. We should no, just move on. <laughs> here's here. Here's one development I noted. Maybe we could close on this. Last year, I wrote a very scathing column when they fired Earl Watson, kind of going after after Sarver a little Uh bit. And I didn't feel like there was quite as much media support around that idea as there was this year. I feel like the emperor's clothes are slowly being kind of stripped off him one by one here. And he might be like one more rash decision. (laughs) For anyone who's ever seen Robert Sarver. But yeah. He might be like one more rash decision away from being like forced to sell his team because of a public outcry. I don't know. Maybe that's too hopeful or or optimistic, but it does seem like the public sentiment against him is building more this year than last year. All right. Well, let's move on here, Ben, because we have a lot of other questions to get to that don't involve the Phoenix Suns. But first, today's podcast is brought to you by Lightstream. Ben, have you ever looked at your credit card statement and been shocked by the interest rate? Did you know that you could actually roll all of your credit card debt into one monthly payment at a lower fixed interest rate? 
Lightstream offers credit card consolidation loans from 5.89% APR with auto pay. Ben, tell me a little bit more about Lightstream. That 5.89% APR could be significantly lower than what you might be paying on your current credit card, which could be up above 18% APR. That's efficiency, Andrew. That's savings. And Lightstream believes that people who have good credit deserve a great interest rate with no fees. And here's a fun fact. Lightstream plants a tree with every loan they fund. So, Andrew, you know a tree hugger like me from Oregon gets excited when I hear that news, right? We're building forests as we're consolidating debt. What a win-win. That's probably why they sought you out. <laughs> so they're looking to nail the old tree hugger demographic. Uh, our listeners will get a special discount on top of Lightstream's already low rates. The only way to get this discount is to go to lightstream.com slash open floor. L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M.com slash open floor. They asked us to spell it out. But uh, seriously, you know, nothing like lowering your credit card debt with the help of an NBA podcast. Go check it out. Lightstream.com slash open floor. All terms are subject to credit approval. Rate includes 0.50 auto pay discount. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit Lightstream.com slash open floor for more information. Andrew already spelled it out for you. So take his (laughs) advice and go there today. All right, let's get back into it. Uh, the first question, I wish we had some brighter news to transition to after the Phoenix disaster, but we'll start with Aaron, who says, it's not delivery, it's DeJounte. Should we make this a thing? And Ben, I don't know if you saw that email, but that came through on Friday night, and I was very excited. I e- emailed him back and said, all caps, yes, absolutely, we should make this a thing. And DeJounte at the time had some pretty nice numbers in a preseason game. And I'm sure everyone knows what happened after that. He blew out his ACL. He is now out for the year. The DeJounte Murray revolution is going to have to wait at least a season. And I am legitimately pretty upset about this. Like if you had asked me a couple days ago, what are you most excited about for the year to come? DeJounte Murray would have been disturbingly high on my list because I think a lot of this other stuff is kind of played out to me because you and I have spent like six months talking about it. But like, I was really excited to see what he was going to turn into for the Spurs this season. And it's a bummer that that is on hold now. No, and for once, your taste was spot on. Like, I I can't even argue (laughs) with that. I was pretty excited too. And I mean, he had an unbelievable role and opportunity. They were obviously counting on him. I mean, this seemed like one of those situations where just, you know, everyone around the league was like pouring out a little liquor today, you know, like other players, rival coaches, whoever was like asked about it or what, it was just all like solely yeah. and just feeling so bad for the Spurs because obviously one, they really needed him Two, likable kid who plays incredibly hard on defense and had put a lot of time into his game offensively. Um, and, you know, even Popovich, like his comments today were just so flat. It was just like, Obviously, I'm taking a body blow. I don't know how I can possibly spin this. I'm not going to really get into like who's going to replace him in the rotation because 
frankly, we don't have anybody else because all of my best friends left, like Manu and Tony. <laughs> what do you want me to do? But, you know, it was just one of those situations where, you know, you feel for their whole organization, but especially for him too, because, uh, you know, there was legitimate most improved player possibilities from him this season. Yeah. I think no doubt about it. And now that's just a gigantic hole. I mean, that's as big of a hole as Phoenix has basically, right? Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't go that far. I think that Derek White also, he showed some flashes even last season and I think he can help them this year. Um, so the Spurs are going to do that Spursy thing where they find a couple different guys to make up for him and, and are able to kind of stay afloat just fine. I think where it's got to really hurt for them, though, is that, you know, the buzz, at least from what we had been hearing, even dating back to the summer, was that, like, DeJounte is the guy. And, like, a lot of people in that organization believed that he was going to be someone that they could kind of rally around this year as not just someone who would, like, take them to the playoffs this year, but would sort of, like... highlight a path forward for the post Kawhi era and he had that kind of talent and that kind of upside and he was still pretty much just scratching the surface but uh I think to lose that momentum has got to be really really deflating for the Spurs and um and again no that's well said and the watchability factor too right like he's the guy you want to tune in to see play we don't want to really watch lamarcus and damar exactly jack up tough <laughs> it's twos. really like, tough because as much as i defend damar and as much or sorry as much as i defend lamarcus and as much as you've maybe defended damar at times against me in the past like having a team where that's the whole offense yeah. right? and you just have placeholder guys trying to set them up and let them do their thing you know the 46 percent you know long twos Rough. Well, really and that's rough. my thing is I still think the Spurs are going to be good. They're just now, now I have no one to really rally around, you know, like I was excited to, to root for the Spurs to go win like 52 games this year and give all of the credit to my guy, DeJounte Murray. And now like, I don't give a shit about what LaMarcus Aldridge does at 33 years old. I'm sure he'll be, he'll be great again, but like, it's tough. And don't forget Rudy Gay. Like, Well, l- let me ask you the big picture question then. I mean, do you sell off? Do you do you consider looking at guys like LaMarcus and even DeMar no, as potential that. trade pieces at the deadline and tank? I mean, why not? I Well, I would have been thinking that way when it was time to trade Kawhi, but it just seems like that's not the way the Spurs are wired. And they may be right to assume that like they're better off treading water for the next four or five years and trying to bet on their development and their ability to, to scout the back half of the first round and find stars. I mean, it looked like that was what was happening with, with Murray. So clearly they, they do have some skills in that department and uh, it seems like that's going to be their approach regardless. It's just a bummer. That That is a bummer. I mean, I almost think there might be more excitement to be found in a little bit of a sell-off, yeah. right? I mean... <laughs> You know, if I'm uh, if I'm R.C. Buford, aren't aren't you making some calls at the very least? Aren't you exploring you know the possibilities with your with your main guys? Because I think you also have a problem with Lamarcus there, where he hasn't always wanted to be there too, right? Like he's sometimes he has you know one foot in, one foot out. You know, is he totally bought into what they're trying to do? I mean, this kind of a blow when you're looking at who they're going to be running out there in the backcourt, especially after all these other guys are gone. Cause now it's not only just Murray and Kawhi, but it's Kyle Anderson, Manu, Tony, 
uh, Danny Green, all those yep. guys are gone. Now you're LaMarcus, you're the last guy standing, and you're thinking, huh, like maybe I would rather play for a team that's actually yeah. playing for something. Should he have gone to Phoenix, I, do I don't you know. think? Do you think he's having second thoughts? <laughs> oh, he could have been paired <laughs> with a great Twin Towers tandem, oh. him and Aiden. <laughs> hey, Len. Um, yeah, it would have been him and Len, and he would have been great. Um, but listen, all I can say is, Aaron, it's not delivery, it's DeJounte. I promise we are going to make that a thing next season. Uh, best wishes to him and to everyone with the Spurs. Yeah. And sort of put it on ice for 12 months just freeze that pizza pie <laughs> exactly. for 12 more months uh, <laughs> bring I it back i can't wait um moving on thomas says hey guys do you believe the raptors have a legit chance of beating philadelphia and boston in the playoffs i almost believe we're deeper than boston and Kawhi can guard ben simmons and make him look completely irrelevant please let me know what you guys think what do you think? I'm curious for your read on the Raptors at this point. Tricky team to uh, to handicap, to prognosticate. I mean, I think the early word out of uh, training camp and preseason has been fairly positive, right? Like Kawhi showed up. That's that's yep. good. He's tried to make a couple jokes, not really succeeded, <laughs> but he's looked fine on the court. And then him and Lowry are at least playing somewhat on the same page where you know, there's not just some day one bad blood between those guys, yeah. right? The strength of this roster has been depth, versatility, athleticism, length. I mean, that's really where they beat teams last year. Um, I think, you know, going from DeMar to Kawhi is a massive upgrade. There's no question about it. Um, and I think that they've got the basic blueprint to compete with both those teams uh, because their defense should be at a high level and because they no longer have that fear factor of like, oh my God, we have to play LeBron in the playoffs and we're not ready for him, which just got them every single year, right? And I think that their defense was probably a little bit overrated last year. You know, they just performed better than they actually were uh, and they got exposed a little bit uh, you know, in the postseason. Well, actually exposed a lot, <laughs> a lot. Bit in the postseason. <laughs> yeah. But um, I think that, you know, taking the LeBron factor out of it, it should boost their confidence. And it certainly lines up the matchups that are potential in the second round or the third round better for them. So to answer his question, I think they've got a shot. I mean, to me, they're fourth in the conference, but they definitely have a shot, yeah. you know, and uh, we haven't talked about them a ton uh, because I think as you've mentioned, there's a fatigue factor of like getting yourself ramped back up for this Toronto team. Yes. Um, but if the last four years just had not happened and we were only viewing this current roster in a vacuum, we would say Kawhi is the best player they've ever had in franchise history. And this team should have a franchise record in wins because it's, you know, arguably the most talented and deepest version of the Raptors that we've ever seen. Right. And it's very hard to play that, uh, you know, mind erase game because the players can't erase their minds either. And because they have a new coach and we want to see how he does, yeah. uh, you know, Nick nurse in his first time, but, you know, stripping away all of the, the lingering narratives, that's what this team should be, the best Raptors version ever with the best player they've ever had. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said there, you know? I mean, and it, it, you mentioned, I don't know whether I was on this podcast or may, may have been on another podcast with Mo Dakil, um, and I had a lot of fun with him, but I... I at one point, he was asking me about Toronto, and I was just like, look, man, I don't know. I, I can't keep doing this with Toronto every single year where we go, do they have enough? Do you think they can make the finals run? Like, I'm I'm just tired of asking whether t Raptors Team X is for real, you know, whether it's the 2014 Raptors or 15 or last year. It's like, 
I'm just sick of that. However, I think you're right that I and maybe you are kind of overlooking them because of because of the fatigue and uh, and I also am, am very much waiting to see what Kawhi Leonard is and how long he can do it without any sort of drama um, and like injury or otherwise. I, I I'm not well, betting on I, other drama, but I, like I want to see how his body holds up. Um, can I ask you a question too, though? Is part of your reluctance just the fact that as independent people are like neutral observers, we're not there in Toronto. Aren't these guys kind of hard to root for too? Like, especially Kawhi, given the way last season yeah. went, but Lowry's always standoffish. Like, isn't there like kind of a weird prickliness or like an unknown that just like, you're not really drawn to these guys. I'm like, yeah, let's go Raptors. Let's see how this works. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that part of it is that like Lowry and DeRozan and this is, I'm speaking purely for myself, I was really beginning to enjoy them and, and enjoy rooting for them, uh, but they were they were kind of endearing as lovable underdogs who were like really close buddies. I think you got sick of that act, you said. Uh, but like last year's team was really fun, and this year's team is basically a version of last year's team with all that kind of camaraderie replaced by this mercenary who's like kind of wooden in some ways and uh that's it's strange i think we have to see it before we really make any final call but the one (laughs) wooden mercenary we could just say that right now that's a great nickname (laughs) the one thing i would say uh to, to bring this full circle and to answer thomas's question as earnestly as i can is i don't believe in the raptors whatsoever this year and I was having a conversation with someone who works for another Eastern Conference team who was saying, look, I've got the Raptors finishing first in the East. I mean, basically what they did is take an all-star off their team and replace him with an MVP candidate. And they are going to be awesome. They are long. They are versatile. They are super deep. And everyone is sleeping on them. And uh, at the time, I laughed in his face but then I started to think about it. It's like, oh. well, like that's all very true. Like that, this Raptors team was awesome last year, and if Kawhi is Kawhi, then they they're better than they were a year ago when they won sixty games. So like they they could be really really good. Yeah, for sure. I mean, people were trying to say the same thing about the Spurs. It's like, oh, they didn't have Kawhi last year. They won this many games. Now they add an all-star. But that's not true because of all the guys they sure. lost, who I mentioned earlier. But the flip side of for the Raptors is actually true, right? They're getting a massive upgrade at the wing position. I mean, we don't have to bury DeMar any more than we already have in previous years. But Kawhi is better in virtually every aspect of basketball yeah. uh, than DeMar is. And they didn't really lose any meaningful players from the rest of their rotation. And they had the NBA's best bench in the entire league. And those guys are going to be accustomed to playing with each other. They're only going to have more chemistry and camaraderie, right? So the whole season comes down to how well do Lowry uh, and Kawhi fit together? And then how close to his ceiling does Kawhi get? And how healthy can he stay, right? Those are the main fundamental questions. But I still think even in a best case scenario... I'm not sure I trust them more than Boston. You know, I still think you know, Boston's got more top end talent coming from more places. And I think Toronto versus Philly, to me, that's kind of a coin flip. I would take Philly at this point, but I can absolutely see arguments from Toronto's side. And if I was a Raptors fan, 
I would be playing the disrespect card because that's what they do. They've been doing it for five years. And I would be saying, look, we're, we should be viewed right there with Boston as the class of the conference and everybody else is chasing yeah. us. And they're not entirely wrong in that department. Um, but I agree with you that in a playoff series, I just don't think they have enough firepower to deal with like the Celtics monster that is coming. Uh, but to me, they should be clear number two. And they are, so we're good. Um, I I really wish they had a time machine for Danny Green, though. I wish they had, like, 2014 Danny Green, who, of course, is one of the players closest near and dear to my heart, because that version of Danny Green would make this team sick. Like, they would be unreal, fun to watch, so explosive, like, unbelievable three-point shooting from lots of different positions. Yeah. and I just don't think Danny he, still has he's that anymore. He's not that guy anymore. And that's why a lot of people on Twitter keep harping on the fact that the Spurs lost Danny Green in addition to Kawhi. And, you know, like Danny Green wasn't giving them that much over the last couple seasons. So it's not a, a crushing blow to San Antonio. Um, it would be cool if he can help out, though, even for like 20 minutes a game. And, and he can play that sort of like C.J. Miles role alongside actual C.J. Yeah. Miles. But don't you think at this point, like the Spurs would kind of kill to have him back just because they don't have anybody Bodies, else? Like yeah. everybody else is gone. Like <laughs> right. the locker room down there is empty. Yeah, okay. And like, I've been to those Spurs AT&T center locker rooms. Like one time I saw a snake or there was a snake in there. I didn't see it, but I heard about it uh, like about 15 minutes after the fact. I mean, they've got bats in that building down there. Like the animals are now running the AT&T Center. All of the Hubits have <laughs> departed. They've left. There's two guys who are still there. DeMar and LaMarcus, that's it. The rest of the yeah, team is gone. Yeah, DeMar, LaMarcus, Davis, Bertans, and then like a petting zoo tucked away in the AT&T Center. Um, <laughs> good luck to everyone. And Derek White. I think Derek White's good for anyone who's playing fantasy hoops. Um, but moving on. Matthew says, not many of my friends are big basketball fans, so I wanted to share this here. Harry Giles might be really good. Not like a solid role player. I'm talking legit star. The dude was the top prospect by a mile until he tore up his knee twice. But it seems like he's healthy and the energy is back. The starting five of Fox, Buddy, Harry Giles... Marvin Bagley and Bogdan Bogdanovich could at least be fun. What could the Kings do this year? What's their upside like? Is there a 50-win team in there some point down the line without another major addition? Should I read the second Kings question just so we can touch on Fox too? Yeah, I just think there's a 50-win team in there if you add up this year's wins and next year's wins, but go ahead. <laughs> okay, so the other one was from Atticus, longtime listener and Kings fan, who said, what happened to De'Aaron Fox in your minds? You guys talk a lot of mess about trying to not write off players, yet you revel in talking about how Fox is mediocre after one year. Like, okay, fine, he didn't rebound like Lonzo, but I think they are still neck and neck on Outlook. Why do you guys keep talking about Lonzo like he's some unique gem and Fox is already Alfred Payton 2.0 in your eyes? Um, so there's a lot there. I'll let you start with whatever whatever grabbed you first. I mean, conceiving of the five of Fox, Buddy, Giles, Bagley, and Bogdan, doesn't that sound like perhaps the worst defensive team in NBA history? I mean, way up there. They could give up 175 points if they rolled out that five regularly. I want to see that. (laughs) Um, 
But yes, I, I do think it would be fun to watch. Look, this team, when I was watching some videos from their like uh, pregame dance off, you know, they always have the rookies go out there yeah. and dance. I swear this team looks like they're just a college team. Like if you wanted to convince me that they were going to make a run to the final four and you're the college basketball expert, Andrew, I would believe you that they could make the final four this year, but they're that young. And that has me really nervous, not just about this season, but about next season and also about just their general uh, outlook because they have not shown any ability to develop young prospects here over the last five years, have they? And I guess that's sort of my concern is, it's good to try to put together a farm team. Like it's good to have guys who are all aligned in age, but I do think you can maybe go a little bit too far that direction. Yeah. And if their roster really had clearly defined roles where it's like, you really know who the one, the two, the three, the four, the five guys are, then that's fine. But when I look at their roster, I see Fox, who's clearly a one, right? right? Everybody else could play multiple positions or can't play any positions, right? Like, you know, Buddy is not going to guard anybody, so he doesn't have a position. Bagley, it sounds like they're thinking about him <laughs> as a three, but he should probably be a five, yeah. right? They have all these different guys where you're going to have these mix and match problems, and they're all so young that even if you get a look at trying to experiment with these different combinations, I'm not sure they're going to be able to find a real functional one here in the short term to really get a, a good look at who plays well with whom because... Uh, they're just not quite ready for prime time. So I think there's a lot of pressure on Fox. I, I didn't mean to try to write him off for his career entirely, yeah. like the emailer suggested. Uh, but he had a really bad rookie year. Period. Like we can just say that it doesn't mean we're. I don't agree on him. with it that. Was not I think good. he had a bad year statistically, and that's sort of how you're reading it. But I, if you watched Kings games, his ability to command the team, he came up in a couple big moments. Uh, like he's, he's solid. I, I, there are real questions about whether he's closer to Alfred Payton or closer to like peak John Wall. Uh, and we'll kind of have to wait and see, but I, I don't think he was like a disaster last season. He was pretty bad last season, Andrew. I mean, I kind of hear what you're saying that he could be solid. I don't, I'm not sure he's going to be a star, but I think he can be a solid starting point guard. I mean, his speed definitely pops. Yeah. Like he has the ability to get by guys. There's no question about it, but in terms of like feel, command, obviously the shooting question, and then defensively, like he's he looked like a teenage rookie. Right. That happens. Like that's not harping on him. I think he kind of played to expectations to some degree, but it's really more about the structure and support that they have. And I worry about their ownership too. Like if there's one guy who we've talked about similar to Sarver, who's got patience questions, who's got unrealistic expectations, who's constantly changing direction with where they go. It's Vivek, and they're not going to be good this year. The Kings are going to get smacked a lot. Like we've seen it. This has been a really depressing podcast. The Kings and Suns hour. Okay, just remember if you're going to line up these podcast questions and it's going to be all Suns and Kings, you're going to get the truth from me. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna beat around the bush here and say, oh yeah, they're going to be real fifty win team five years from now. Come on, they're going to be really bad this year, and that's okay. There's going to be some bright spots with some of these young guys popping because someone's going to have to pop. And I think the point on Giles is interesting because this emailer is not alone. Giles has some un- under the radar stands. For like, sure. There's people who just, I think remember him from high school or saw him at summer league who are just completely all in. And I think he's from like your neck of the woods, right? Um, he's from North Carolina, I believe. But yeah, I over the last week or so, I've become an honorary North Carolinian uh, among our emailers. So, <laughs> but. So are you a Stan? Are you in? Like, are you ready for the Giles comeback, mm, savior experience? A little bit. It's funny that Matthew mentioned that he was the top prospect by a mile. 
And I think that is sort of the source of a lot of people's enthusiasm. But the reality is that, like, you can look at any high school class and there are usually two or three guys in there who just don't really pan out and don't their games don't translate to the NBA in the same way. Like they're the best among 18 year olds, but project out to 25 and like guys kind of progress differently. And so that's sort of the category that I had put Harry Giles in. It's a category that his teammate, Scal Labissier, is definitely in. Um, but because Scal was like a top three recruit himself. But I think Giles, man, the the clips I've seen, and granted, I have not watched a ton. Uh, I've not watched a full Sacramento Kings preseason game, but I've watched clips of Giles specifically and he he's moving really really well and like much better than I would have guessed when he was drafted. I think he was a twentieth pick two years ago, and I, you know, at that point you're just kind of taking a flyer. And and he is like he looks like the old guy, like he was sixteen years old, which is crazy and on its own. And uh, I think he can help them. If you're asking for the two guys in Sacramento that I'm not depressed about, I think. De'Aaron Fox is still going to be good, and I think Harry Giles is going to be a lot of fun to watch this year. And I'm getting a little bit more interested in the Bagley experience <laughs> as we go. I might, th- I might throw him into that category. Jaleel I love Bagley. You know, I'm very, you know, I'm very skeptical of what they're doing. You know, in terms of that pick, I think it was a mistake. But the mistake is done. Now you have to live with the results. Let's see what he's capable of doing. I think he's going to be in a situation where the whole success of their season is: does he? create a two-man game a functional two-man game with him and fox right like that has to be the core of their team everyone else is playing around that if that doesn't wind up working for them then see you next year right i mean that's that's pretty much where we're headed um well one more question on the kings from reverend james sharp who is not related to me at least as far as i know but he says dear mr golliver I have serious questions about your moral anchor. If you consider sending someone to play for the Sacramento Kings, the moral high ground. Do you, do you have any response to that? Did you respond to him? Well, I said that too uh, about Jimmy yeah, Butler, right? Like that was trade. like my spite <laughs> trade. Yeah, I don't know exactly what I meant. I may, maybe I was thinking the the high horse rather than the moral high ground. Like at least you would have your dignity intact, right? Like if you send Jimmy Butler after he completely screws over your season by walking off the job and just refusing yeah. to play. And by the way, doesn't he deserve more criticism, Andrew? Don't you have to show up for work? Don't I have to show up for work? Don't people have to show up for work? I'm like, I'm not Mr. Like, you know, lunch bucket Golliver, right? <laughs> you sound like on. it. <laughs> you said, no, you, you're getting paid show up to millions work? and millions of dollars. He's part of a complex political dance right now. I don't blame him for not. He's clearly working out. He's Jimmy Butler. He's a psychopath. You seriously, you don't blame him for not showing no, up? No, why would he? I mean, he's trying to force his way out of town. Because he's under contract. But he's, look, Andrew, you can, in certain situations, okay, you could hold out. If he's making $1 million, he's worried Look, about being injured or something like that. Okay, I understand that. Here, okay, contracts are suggestions. They are not necessarily written in stone. It's 2018. This is the modern NBA. Think outside the box, okay? Contracts are suggestions. <laughs> Holy no. cow. I do not know where we're going with this. This is the law and order degradation of society I keep reading about constantly in the news yeah. pages. Has now been flung into the sports page. <laughs> Fantastic. True. Started um, with Ryan McDonough, and now look where we are. You know what I mean? 
Pastor Sharp, my bad. First of all, I followed you on Instagram because I thought you were like Andrew's <laughs> uncle or something like that. I know you're not his nephew because that's Brandon Ingram, but I thought you were related. But you know, keep the you know the hot Instagram content coming. I will retract what I meant to say. It was more of Jimmy Butler, like trading him to the Kings would allow you to take the moral high ground or you know sit on your high horse, yeah. right? Because you're essentially saying, look. Uh, we can get by without you, and we're going to see how good you actually are at turning around another team uh, by sending you to the biggest backwater in the league. Good luck. Have a fun season, right? It would basically be saying, well, "Look, but hold on, uh, you know, we're gonna do, we're gonna do you a favor by slapping you in the face, and it will make us feel better about ourselves because we know it's not going to work okay. out for you." I, I think Reverend Sharp's point is that you would be indulging the pettiest instincts in in you to when you do that, which yeah. is. No, but you could turn around to your fan base and you could sell it. And you could be like, look, you know, we granted his <laughs> trade release. You know, we did right by our star player who was disgruntled. Like, you could kind of sit on the yeah. high risk. I'm, I'm seeing okay. the point. I did not mean to say the moral high ground. I'm more talking about the high horse or the, uh, you know, the sentiment of like, you know, pride, you know, to your fan base so that they don't have to feel like they just got completely screwed by the, the guy forcing well, his way shout out. out to Reverend Sharp. This is the first time the pod has drawn the ire of, uh, the religious establishment, but thanks for writing in. And uh, moving on, though, Will G says, Wiz preseason game number one, my reaction, I can't believe I have to root for Austin Rivers, FML. Um, mm. Yeah, so look, a couple people have written in and said, why aren't you guys talking about the Wizards? Can you talk a little bit more about the Wizards? And I really appreciate those emails because we need to implore Ben. We need sort of uh, a coalition pushing for more Wizards discussion. But just really quickly, I, I the Wizards' start to the year here has been pretty tough. Speaking of preseason game number one, I mean, Markeith Morris got ejected in the first preseason game, mm. Mm, mm, <laughs> which mm. I, I'm i least excited to root for Markeith Morris. Like, of everyone on the Wizards, the, the player that I'm dreading the most is another year with Markeith. I kind of feel like he's the problem in D.C. Um, but then, additionally, Austin Rivers came out after the game and was informed that the Wizards shot eight for 38 from three-point range in their first preseason game. And Rivers' reaction was, holy shit, really? Uh, which is a great note to start the season off on. Dwight Howard still has not played and is nursing a sore back, which means there's a decent chance the, the Wiz are going to have starting center Jan Mahinmi on opening night. Um, this is a long <laughs> list, and I know it's just going to keep going because you're leaving out some big ones. Well, keep look, going. did you see the interview where John Wall defended his right to party as much as he wants? There we go. That was the one I was waiting for. Yeah, please summarize it. What do you think of that? Let me play it. Let's see if it comes through. It was... This is the sum of all my fears. I love it. I asked them the same thing. You got a nine to five. What you do after your nine to five? You're not about to sit in the house all day, are you? I mean, I'm a grown man. I can do what I want to as long as I know what I do and bring to the table every night. And it's give me ten percent effort. I know how hard I work on my game. I'm going to enjoy my life. I'm not about to sit at home and be boring. There you go. So 
John Wall says, I'm not about to sit at home and be boring. Do you have any reactions here off the top? I just want to have an athlete ask me that question, that rhetorical question, like, what do you want to do after your nine to five? Sit at home all day long? And then I, because the answer for me would be yes. Like, yeah, I do. What's the point? I go for a walk every day and then otherwise I sit around. What, what, What do you want more from me? And then just to see how that would go, because I feel like if someone had pushed back ever so slightly, John Wall was about to dig into how <laughs> <know>. awesome <laughs> the party lifestyle really is. I mean, I was ready for him to be like, you know what? Me and Mr. D-Rugs, we held it down all summer long with the day parties. It was unbelievable. I have the coolest life. I make so much money. I'm under contract for the next five years. Everything is wonderful. And he just needed a little bit of a pushback from the reporter there rather than the silent agreement of like, no, I don't sit around after my nine to five. And we would have been onto something truly yeah, special. Well, that would be, I have a number of responses. Number one, you know, I don't know how familiar John is with people who actually have nine to fives, but most people who do aren't out in the club multiple nights per week. That just like, is not how it goes down. And number two though, like, John Wall doesn't have a nine to five job and he's a professional athlete. So that's kind of why people are like, you probably should take care of yourself. Number three, it's 2018 and Wall is out here kind of talking like it's 1997. Like he sounds like Iverson and like that, that Antoine Walker generation. And there's nothing wrong with that, but like, One of the main reasons the NBA is in such a great place right now is because the culture of superstars in the league is that, like, guys really take care of themselves all year round and work their ass off. And it's, like, not necessarily cool to come out and be like, yeah, I party all the time. Like, what do you want? I still give 110% out on the court. Like, that... There's been a shift in the league that I don't think Wall is part of. And um, all of which is to say that, you know, it's going to be quite a year in D.C. Here we are. It's been two weeks. And uh, already the Wizards are not disappointing. I have a question for you. Do you believe Wall has reached his full potential as a player? And do you think that Wall believes he has reached his full potential as a player? I think that Wall does, and I don't think he, I think Wall could have reached his full potential. I think part of it is his athleticism just isn't quite where it was two years ago. Um, but in general, I think that even you could argue that he was never going to be a great shooter, but I think reaching his full potential would have been moving off the ball and playing very similar to the way the Spurs used Tony Parker for all those years. And, um, and I don't think he was ever willing to do that, but I also don't put that entirely on him because he's never been with a coach who's been able to sort of show him that blueprint and, and force him to do that and, and make it work around him. Yeah. I feel like he just really hasn't evolved as quite the, the level of a tactician or a game controller that I maybe had hoped for even earlier in his career. Like I thought he was going to find ways to really use his athleticism to its full potential. And he's, he's a good passer, not a great passer, but when you mix that with the skills he has of getting to the basket and blowing by guys off the dribble, that can be really, really yeah. dangerous. 
And then defensively, I thought he was just going to be one of those guys like Chris Paul, who's like, look, I want to be on, you know, first team all defense every single year. That's who I'm going to be. And that's why I wonder with some of these interviews, too, is like, is he watching his prime slip away from him a little bit? Like, is it happening before his eyes? And and maybe he's trying to process that. Did the injuries throw him off from where he thought he was going to be? Or is he really cool with, you know, sort of how things have played out? He's pretty cool with it. He wasn't. I mean, yeah, and uh, maybe maybe that's why it's frustrating, and maybe that's why there's consistent pushback, and maybe that's why he's always feeling attacked by critics. Like, I, I feel like there there might be a situation here where both sides have yeah. a point. I mean, frankly, there's not enough pushback from local critics. There's just that's not the way the DC market really works. Um, but yeah, it, it, look, he, there's room to improve without question from where Wall was a year ago, and. Uh, it's entirely possible that he could come out and have have an awesome year, and and the in that version of reality, the Wizards are going to be pretty tough. Um, so I'm pulling for it. And then we're and we're gonna de- we're, we're gonna delete the tape of this convo if that happens. <laughs> yeah. Is that what? No, that where you're going. <laughs> what I'm saying is like this is we're at rock bottom. Morale has never been lower than it is right now because look, I was able to talk myself into it over the summer. But now you look up, it's like Markeith Morris, how the fuck do you get ejected in a preseason game? And he's he's like jawing with Mitchell Robinson, who's barely in the NBA. And you see Austin Rivers, Dwight Howard is already hurt. Like, this is tough. But um, we'll see. I still believe in Beal and Otto, and I'm, I'm not giving up hope on John Wall. So with that, uh, two final questions here, Ben, and then we'll bounce First, from Stav in Sydney, he says, Ben, I've noticed something, and I'm wondering if you have too. Andrew is a Luka Doncic skeptic. He's often hating on Harden, and he's frankly disgusted by Tim Tim Duncan compliments. I think we can see the commonality here. Texas, does Sharpie hate the Lone Star State and all the winning done within it? Um... Ooh, interesting theory. This is from Stav. An international listener is like breaking down your uh, regional rivalry uh, well, you know, considerations. He, what do you think? Is it true? Do you hate yeah, Texas? Yeah, I'm very impressed. Number one, by his knowledge of Texas. And number two, uh, you know, he, Stav is in Australia. Um, and it's very perceptive reading from him because... To be honest with you, Ben, I kind of don't feel comfortable in Texas. Like, Texas sort of freaks me out. You were talking about the snakes and bats and all the shit in the, the Spurs stadium. Like, that's why Texas is is a version of the world that, like, I'm not comfortable with. Every Everything is bigger. Everybody's kind of intimidating and... I just, it's not my place, you know? It's, I'm on a different wavelength than the state of Texas. Yeah, I mean, the Texas has the whooping cranes. That's the main thing I'm interested in that state. Otherwise, I can pretty much leave the rest of it to the Texans. Um, but like, just as an example, Stav's geographical knowledge here is excellent because we would have had to say something like, hey, Stav, like, what do you have against Queensland or like <laughs> exactly. the Western Territory to like make this kind of like, you know, uh, put the analogy on the other foot? I mean, that's pretty impressive by him. Um, yeah, I don't know. How do you feel about the Thunder, like big picture? Like, is it a Midwest thing or is it a Texas specific thing? Do you like any Texas football teams? 
have you had any bad experiences like, you know, scarring experiences in Texas? I mean, what, what is the root of this uh, clear and evident bias? You know, it's going to sound like incredibly East Coast liberal of me, but I did love oh. going to Austin. And like I had three or four days in Austin a couple years ago where I was like, this is the best place on earth. I don't know why everybody doesn't live here, which I think a lot of people have concluded. And that's why everybody does now live in Austin. But that place was great. It's just every time I'm in Dallas, like Dallas was kind of tacky. And like you go to Houston and Houston is just this like giant jungle of concrete and freeways. And people are like, Houston's great. And I'm like, Houston doesn't seem that great. So it's just never clicked with me. I feel bad about it. Yeah, I mean, shout out to Scott Travis. We still got love for him, but I, I'm with you. If I had to rank my states, I mean, it's probably not near the top, but I do think you need to show some respect to the basketball greatness. And I'm also wondering, let me ask you, uh, with regard to the Mavericks, are they sleepers here in the West now with the DeJounte news? The Mavs, huh? uh, With some of these other things that are maybe happening in the Western Conference? Like, is there a chance that Luka pulls them into that playoff conversation or at least that bubble? Is that possible? You know... Luca, I think, could be pretty solid for them. And yeah, I think they're in the mix. The the guy that you didn't mention, who I continue to forget about, and every time I remember that he's in Dallas, I start to, to kind of wonder what's possible. Like, DeAndre Jordan should be great in that system. And I think that they, last year, were like, they played a number of close games. It felt like every time I would watch the Mavericks, they would be playing someone who I would expect to be winning by 20 and the Mavs would kind of be like hanging around until the very end, which is sort of Carlisle's MO. But I think adding someone like DeAndre starts to tip the scales a little bit. And so, yeah, like there's definitely room for them to make some noise this year. Yeah. I just think like, let's compare them to last year's Clippers, right? Like they arguably have more talent than last year's Clippers. You know, DeAndre is like obviously the comparison point, right? Like you're you're pulling him from LA to Dallas. Like, does this current group, especially if Doncic is like a rookie of the year type player, have enough to be in that mix if they're better than LA's you know injury ravaged team on paper compared to last year? I think yeah. so. And you've got OKC, you know, potentially with the slow start with Robertson, uh, you know, being out and Westbrook working his way back. You've got now San Antonio to me is going to be in a real dogfight to make the playoffs. I'm not sure they're going to be able to do it. Uh, you've got Minnesota imploding left and right, as we've mentioned time and time again. There is a window now for one of these other teams who we have spent no time talking about, whether it's Dallas or Memphis, one of these teams that have been like outside of the playoff bubble conversation for us to sneak their way in. Um, and I think, you know, to me, if I'm lining up those rosters, I'm feeling, if I'm Dallas, I'm feeling a lot better about the relevance of that team this year than at any point here over the last two or three seasons. I think there's going to be an excitement factor um, and just a steadiness across their rotation that just really hasn't so existed. So the one thing I would worry about if I were Dallas is the point guard position because Dennis Smith just might not be the guy. And if he's not, I don't know how much you can lean on J.J. Barea before you start to hit a point of diminishing returns. And so that's where I wonder about what the plan is um but Doncic give him the ball get out of the maybe. way look you got an elite playmaker right there man he's stocky you know he's a, he'll dress like a stock boy or whatever you say <laughs> he looks like I mean 
I think he's going to get the ball a lot. I really do think he's going to be the answer to a lot of their questions. And it might not always be a positive answer, right? Like that happens. But I do think that when in doubt, they're going to say, hey, Wonder Boy, go do it for us. We'll see. I mean, there's no question if you're a Doncic believer, there's room for the Mavs to really uh, make it interesting this year. Ethan says, hey, guys, just FYI, I decided to take a page out of the Ranger Rick handbook and went to northern Minnesota and visited a national park to clear my head before the basketball season began. Also, Sharp, I named my fantasy basketball team Bel Air Cantina in honor of the restaurant (laughs) that wouldn't serve Giannis. Apologies to Ben for playing fantasy basketball to begin with. I'm not entirely reality-based just yet. Um, Look, shout out to Ethan. Ethan is the ideal open floor listener. Checked a lot of boxes there. And those are the type of people who have been writing in uh, with preview questions for the last like week or so. We have far more than I ever imagined that we would get. We've got multiple questions for each team, and we really appreciate all the submissions. And Ben, I'm excited to talk for what will probably be like two hours later this week about the all 30 teams. I can't wait for our official season preview podcast. It's coming up, and please continue to send questions in. We've been getting great ones left, right, and center. Ethan, one suggestion. Can you change your basketball team name to Boycott Bel Air Cantina, possibly, <laughs> just to make it clear that we're not in support of what that can- cantina did in terms of leaving Giannis out in the cold there with the food for five or ten minutes? Uh, Northern Minnesota sounds incredible. I was just in Michigan. One of my bucket lists here shortly, Andrew, is to get back up to the Upper Peninsula and spend some time just like out there in the woods in the wilderness. Maybe next summer that that'll be on my uh, that'll be on my list of, of travel destinations to really get far, far off the grid. Um, other than that, I'm glad that we had a very constructive conversation about some teams that we often overlook the Suns, Mavs, Kings, and everything else. And remember, that's the point of the official season preview podcast that's coming up to talk about every team, even the ones that we sometimes shortchange. So send those questions in to openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. And also, don't forget, find our page on Apple Podcasts by searching for Open Floor. That's two words. Find it, scroll down. It will say rate and review, tap five stars. Uh, help us out with the review and a... Uh, and a rating. It really means the world to us. It really helps us spread the open floor gospel. And also, Andrew, not to brag, but, but we're on radio.com right now. <laughs> I've right? heard that. Radio.com or wherever you get your podcast. Download and subscribe. And seriously, the ratings help for reasons that can't entirely be explained. So if you enjoy the podcast and you've listened this far, go leave us a five-star review. And Ben... I will talk to you later in the week. I'm already nervous about how long we're going to go. I initially planned for 90 minutes, but clearly that's a lost cause. So we'll see, but I look forward to it. We'll have fun. I can't wait. Just caffeinate. You'll be fine. (laughs) Don't worry about it. And look, those ratings and reviews actually do help us for reasons that we can pinpoint, such as our ego and bragging (laughs) rights and things of that nature. So help us out, you know? Do us a favor. Ben.Golver on Instagram. Hey, Andrew. Until later this week, I'll talk to you. Take it easy. Another great edition of Open Floor is in the books. Did you know Locked On has a daily podcast for all 30 NBA teams? If you're a Lakers fan, search Locked On Lakers. A Celtics fan, search Locked On Celtics. 
Warriors fans search Locked On Warriors. Yes, all 30 NBA teams have a daily bite-sized podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. Search on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts for Locked On, your favorite team. Or tell your smart speaker to play podcasts, Locked On, your favorite team. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.